welcome to the City View Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. As John is writing this letter, we're, we're, we're studying the book of Revelation, which for many people has always been a, a study. We've, we've, we've labeled it, we've titled it in times, but it's, it's just Jesus and his power, his glory and his might is what it is. And as John writes this, this section to the seven churches, he is sharing Jesus in a way that he, he did not experience him at first. When John first experienced Jesus, as we find it in the gospel, he sees a Jesus that's loving, that's caring, that's, that's gonna die for the people that, he just sees this side of Jesus that, that is the good shepherd. But as John writes Revelation, he is, the first time he sees Jesus in Revelation chapter one, John says he falls down and worships. And then he's shown Jesus in his power, his might, and his glory. And the reason John is writing these, and some of these words that he's saying to these churches, they're sharp. There's some major things that have got to be fixed in their lives and in their hearts. Today, as we look at the churches of Pergamum, Pergamus, Pergamum and Thyatira, the two things that he says is you've been a compromising church and you have tolerated sin. But the reason he's able to say what he, he says is because he knows there's a Jesus that loves and desires to help them live a life that's so much better. The reason we baptize is not because it's like, well, what do Christians, what should we do? Well, I guess, you know, we baptize. No, the reason we do this is this is a response to what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ really did live on this earth. That's what's preached here. We believe that he really did live a 100% perfect life. That he died on a cross for every single person on earth. And that when you make a choice to follow him, he changes your life forever. And our response in obedience to him is to show the whole world. Now, we granted, I can't get the whole world in here but to show our community, I've taken that step, I believe him, and I wanna be baptized today. And that's why we do this. And as John is writing this letter to these churches, he's wanting them to, next week, um, one of the churches is, is challenged to wake up. He's wanting the churches to live the life that God has called them to live because what God does through us impacts the world around us. Baptism is one step of impacting the world around us. Let's pray. And we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. God, uh, I ask that you would move in a powerful way, Holy Spirit, in this room. Holy Spirit, move. Be free to move in our hearts and my heart the words that you have. May we 
each and every one of us have ears to hear, as your word says, have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, may each one of us in this room have ears to hear. May we not be distracted by anything that might cause distraction. May we listen to what you have. Holy Spirit, move in churches throughout the valley. Wake us up. Times are coming to an end. Times are getting darker and darker. But Lord, your light shines bright and it's shining brighter and brighter each and every day. Even though our world might get more evil, you become good and good beyond all. So Holy Spirit, fill your churches today. I pray for my friend Eric over at the bridge. I pray for my friend Aaron at Jesus Church. My friend Andrew over at Cross Church. Lord, I pray for Carlisle over at Journey Church. God, I ask your blessings upon us here at City View. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we are in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 12, as we continue our look at these seven churches. So, we have, there's seven key parts to each church. For those of you who are taking notes, um, you should have gotten one of these. If, you, if you're newer to City View and you would like one of these Revelation journals, you can raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring those to you. If you have not received one and you want one, we have those for you. I think we have like, I think we have 18 left. Um, so if you would like one, raise your hand. We'll get that to you. Just keep your hand up so that we can get that book. There's seven key parts if you're taking notes. These seven things are, take a picture of it, write it down if you want to. There's seven key parts, okay? One, you're gonna, in each letter, you're gonna see the recipient of who the letter is written to. You're gonna see the speaker. The speaker is always Jesus. The commendation or the condition of the church. You're gonna see the complaint. You're gonna see the counsel, the warning, and the promise. Each church will not get these. They might get six of them, five of them. Um, each church will get some of these. Some churches will not get a complaint because they're doing pretty good. Some churches will not get a single positive thing written about them. Some churches will not get a single negative thing written about them. The reality is each one of these churches, there's things that we can learn, that we can heed, that we can grow in. And as the Holy Spirit says to each church, he says, to those who have an ear. It says, for each one of us, we are to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. One last thing before I dive in. Men, we're starting a, a, a once-a-month men's gathering. It's going to be on Thursday nights at 6.30. It's going to be called Men's Night. Um, and the reason why we gather is because being a godly man is hard work. And you don't do hard work alone. A friend of mine's moving right now, and he went and hired the teenage boy down the street to help him because he knows if he does it alone, he's going to blow out his back. So it's going to be Thursday nights, or once a month Thursday night. The first one is February 22nd, Thursday night. Dinner will be provided. It's a $10, um, it's a $10 monthly charge, 10 bucks a month to be part of this club. In this, you will learn how to be a godly man. In this, you will learn how to be a godly husband. In this, you will learn how to be a godly father. And in this, you will learn how to work together as men so that we can conquer and do what we've been called to do. Because being a man is hard work. So men, whether you're young, ages 
high school or whether your junior high can come as well. I wouldn't encourage older, much younger than that at all. And if it doesn't matter how old you are, come. Because we as men do things together. Okay, Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. So here we meet the first recipient of this section of scripture. And you're gonna see here a map behind me. We are seeing the church of Pergamum. Pergamum, so we, we talked about Ephesus last week. This is the country of Turkey. Um, we talked about Ephesus last week. Um, you got Israel, it's way down over here. You can't see it. You got Iraq over here, Syria's over here. You got Lebanon down here. I know you guys, some of you can't even see where I'm pointing. I'm just giving you an idea of a map for those of you who don't know maps, um, helping you understand. So you got Ephesus here, modern day Turkey. Ephesus here. You've got Smyrna here, which we talked about last week. Now we're jumping up to Pergamum. Pergamum is about 90 miles away now. So we're, we've gone, there's 30 miles here, and then there's, I can't remember, like 60 miles? I think, yeah, 60 miles here. So we're about 90 miles from here. They are more inland than, all, uh, than um, the other two that we talked about. These both were, had ports, seaports. Now we're more inland. So we're here at Pergamum. We're going to look at Pergamum and Thyatira today. We're going to Pergamum. Pergamum was about 60 miles from Smyrna, 90 miles from Ephesus. This city was known for its huge idol built to Zeus. I don't know how many of you are into Greek gods and all that kind of stuff in school. I was huge into it. I, I just, I was, it, I don't know, I just loved it. I loved the study of it. I loved knowing about it. It was one of the things that made me like literature and like to read. Um, but this idol, this, this, this temple built to Zeus was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was built, this city was built more on a plane, on a higher plane. And it is believed that this statue at its peak on top of the plane stood somewhere between six and 800 feet in the air. It could be seen as you approach the city, the, the massive temple built to this god Zeus. This city was also known for its infatuation with worshiping the emperor, whoever the ruler of, of, the, of, of Rome at the time, they worshiped the emperor. So that's the city of, of Pergamum. And in Pergamum, it says, it now, so that's the recipient is Pergamum. And then also in Pergamum, they, they worship this god named Escol. Oh, who knows? It's going to be behind me. You're going to see an image. And in this, this is, uh, this, is this god, Esculapus. Esculapus. Also, ask, well, I have no clue. I'm not, I'm, whatever. This guy right here, this is a god they worshiped. He was, he had a symbol that you're going to see. He, there's this rod with the snake, this symbol. You, you probably might recognize it. It's like the medical symbol. So in this worship of this God, the serpent was a main key point of worship. And what they did is they had the temple to this God, and on the floor of this temple were multiple non-poisonous snakes all over the floor. Some of you are like, yes, that would be awesome. I love snakes. Others of you are like, get me the blank away from there. I hate snakes. Either way, if you wanted to be healed and you had an, a, a, some kind of sickness and you wanted to be healed and you believed in the gods, you would go to this guy's temple, you would lay on the floor and hope one of the snakes would slither by your ailment and heal you. <laughs> Pergamum. 
And there's a church there. There's this church that is trying to live their lives for the Lord. And then we meet the speaker. So if you're taking notes, here's the speaker now. The speaker is Jesus. And Jesus is defined as the one with the sharp two-edged sword, meaning God's word and God's words and how he speaks and what he does. This picture gives us as Jesus as the judge and executioner. The church is facing judgment. The church has got some major things they need to change in their life. The sword is this, this, this idea of a sword. And in the Roman times, they had two basic swords. They had a shorter sword, which was used for close combat battle, um, which would be used for the close fights, like what you might think fencing is. And it was a shorter sword. And then you had this longer spear-like, almost like a, a, a um, Braveheart kind of sword that they would be used, that they would use for fighting as well, it would be more of a judgment, more of a commanding, more of a, a scarier kind of sword. And this sword was used to, to cut and, and to, to destroy. And this sword was, this sword, as, as this is being defined of Jesus, it's, it's being defined as Jesus is the one that cuts, that brings judgment, but also cuts us, the binds that hold us from sin. It condemns and it wants to bring freedom. That's this Jesus that is speaking to this church. Remember, again, this is not the same sword, the double-edged sword that is referenced in Hebrews chapter four. Two different kinds of swords. Hebrews chapter four, the, the, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting through bone and marrow, is speaking specifically of your heart of God cutting through and getting to your heart so that we might do what God has called us to do. This sword is cutting like judgment. Not like happy. Verse 13, I know where you dwell. Meaning Jesus is saying, I know. Remember, remember for those of you who were not here last week, to each church, there's seven churches, to each church, the word I know, the two words I know is, is, is stated. Meaning Jesus understands and he knows, he has knowledge of where you are and what's going on with your life. I know. He says, I know where you dwell. He knows, he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Are you getting a, a mental picture of this city, Pergamum, where the people are living right now? He says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and hold, he says to them, and you hold fast my name. If you're underlining in your journal or underlining in your Bible, underline the word hold fast. You're going to see that a few times this morning. Hold fast. Something that we are to do as the world continues to to get darker, as life continues to get harder, as standing up for right and wrong continues to get more and more difficult, we as believers in Jesus Christ are to hold fast to what we believe. He says, hold fast my name. That's what we hold fast to. Hold fast my name. This is what they did. And you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Two times it's this place about Satan dwelling. This is the commendation. God knows how evil the city is. 
The throne of Satan is believed to be a few different things. Some believe maybe it's referencing this idol of, of Zeus that is made, that that's referencing the throne of Satan. Others believe that it's the belief system that is in this city. There is this guy who, who fled. His name is Antichus, um, the third or the second, the third Antichus, the Antalus, Antalus, I'm sorry, Antalus, A-T-T-A-L-U-S, um, the third he was the priest king of the Chaldeans. That's modern-day Iraq. The Persians came in and attacked. He fled, and he came to Pergamum. So he's way down at the bottom in Iraq here. He fled to Pergamum and made that his new sort of empire and his new place. And as he's there, and if you know anything about the worship of the Babylonian gods, is very much satanic, evil worship. So this priest, who was this major lead worshiper of evil things, fled Iraq, fled Babylon, came up to modern-day Pergamum, or Pergamum at that time, was, this was before this is being written. He comes there and he brings this worship with him. So it could be referencing the style of worship that he brought. It could also mean that they... Um, the, the, the throne of Satan was this, this, just this lifestyle of living. We, we're not fully sure, but we know that it's satanic. And somehow this church maintained their faith. They preached in the name of Jesus and they had held fast. The word hold fast, it means to seize with power and might. It means being committed to someone or something, to hold fast. In my, in my mind, when I think of hold, I, I'm reminded of those like ro old movies, Roman movies, where you have that commanding general. He says, hold, hold, just holding fast, just making sure you're keeping your ground. So I picture, hold fast. He says, and I know about Antipas who was killed. This was one of, uh, this is a, a religious Christian leader. We don't know a ton about him but he was martyred for his faith. And what tradition tells us is that he was put inside a brass bull, bull, like B-U-L-L. -L. He was put inside that and they heated up and they cooked him alive. That's what tradition tells us. He says, I know, I know the persecution that you guys are going through. Verses 14 and 15. But I have a few things against you. Because you have there some who hold, meaning in the church, you have some who hold the teachings of Balaam, who keep teaching Balak, who, who kept teaching Balak to put stumbling blocks before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who are in the same hold way to the, te to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Here's the complaint. They allowed false doctrine and worldliness into the church. They compromised. Little by little, they compromised. I, I highly doubt it came right in and the guy's like, hey, I want to teach this new way of teaching. I want to teach you guys that you need to worship idols and I want to make sure that you guys are having sex with th people and things that you shouldn't be having sex to. I'm sure some guy didn't come up one day and the pastor's like, hey, does anybody have a, a word of encouragement for us? And you've got some guy going, hey, I've got one. I think we should do this. 
No, it was compromise. Little by little compromise. You know, it's compromise, it, it starts with you go on a health journey and you're trying to be healthy. This is my life in constant circles. I go healthy, and my wife and I today were talking about this. Like, I just need to lose weight. I'm like, no, I don't want to just, I told her, I said, I don't want to just lose weight. I want to, I, I want to have a habit of being healthy. But ice cream constantly calls my name, and so I compromise. I lose weight. I lose weight, and at 45, it's harder to lose weight, but I still do it. And then all of a sudden, once I've hit my goal, anybody ever do this before? You hit your goal, and then you're like, I can have one or two or four cookies and a bowl of ice cream. I can have three tacos. Well, what's a fourth? I mean, it's not going to hurt anybody. I just won't eat as much later. And so it's little compromises. So we do this in our Christian life. We say, well, I'm going to sleep in. You know, it's been nice having Sundays off. I'll just watch online. And so it starts with one compromise. And then it goes to another. And all of a sudden, we become disconnected. It becomes compromise. It's, 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 it's looking at things you shouldn't on your phone. It's, it's well, I'm just going to follow this girl because, I mean, she's, she's my friend and we're, it's good and all. And she's, she's pretty and it's, it's compromise. It's, it's one friend. It's you know her, but her posts are constantly not what you should be looking at. It's compromises. It's little compromises here and there that we put into our lives in this church of Pergamum. Little by little, they compromise, and they got to this point where they're allowing this teaching of Balaam. And Balaam, for those of you who do not know the story, I encourage you to read Numbers. If you're taking notes, write this right now. Numbers, read Numbers chapter 22 through Numbers chapter 25, and read Numbers chapter 31. Read those this week. You're going to learn about Balaam. I'm going to tell you a little bit of his story. Not all of it. Balaam was a prophet in, the, in that area. People knew that he was a prophet that spoke truth, and he somehow got messages from the Lord. And so this king named Balak said, hey, the people of Israel, you see, the people of Israel, God's name was renowned. Everybody knew about the name of God. Everybody knew about the God of Israel. Everybody knew that the God of Israel was a God of power and a God of might and that the people of Israel believed in him. Everybody knew that. He was, they talked about it. So Balak, the king, saw the people of Israel coming through his land. There are millions of people this time, okay? Have you ever seen a crowd of people take over something? So he sees them coming and says, okay, I, I, I need God. I need them to be cursed. So he goes to, Bala, or goes to Balaam. He says, Balaam, will you curse? So Balaam says, yeah, I'll curse them. God says, no, you won't. There's so much more to the story, but I'm not going to tell you. God says, no, you can't curse them. So Balak says, well, I'm going to pay you a lot of money. What are you going to do? He says, okay, here's what you do. Send your women to go marry their men. And their women will then teach them how to worship other gods. And little by little, the family will fall apart. And that got into the people of Israel. You see, God loves his people so much, he didn't let that stick. And in a moment, <laughs> you're like, God's crazy. 24,000 people died. God judges the people of Israel. He says, no, 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 no. My people are not to live that way. He kills 24,000 of them. In a moment, 
Imagine if God did that today for those who compromise in decades. I, many, of, many people have always misunderstood the God of the God that we see in the Old Testament. He's the same God of grace that we see in the New. There's no, God's not different. He doesn't change. But God is getting things ready for his son to come. And there's so much intermarrying. There's so much sexual immorality that God could not allow his people. God called his people to be set apart. In your lives, in here, God has called you to set apart. And for some reason, some of your lives, God doesn't allow you to get away with anything. And you get caught every single time. It's not because God hates you more. It's not because he loves you more. But it's because God has a call in your life that's significant, that's different than other people. And I believe God does that for some. I don't understand it. I don't know if it's for all. I don't, I don't get it. But it just seems like, have you ever felt like you get caught, like no matter, you have a short, anybody ever feel like you have a short leash? Hopefully you all feel that way. If you don't, then it could be that your conscience is seared and that's a bigger problem. Could be that we're all called the same thing, but you all have seared your conscience. So you're a hot mess. So take heed and listen. But some of you, you feel that. You feel that you get caught every time. If that's you, listen, because the Lord is speaking to you. So you've got these, you've got that, you've got this teaching that, that the inside they've allowed the church, they've allowed idol worship, and they have allowed this, this sexual immorality inside the church. And you've got this teaching of the Nicolaitans, which I said last week, I talk a little bit more this week. It's not much is known about the Nicolaitans. We don't fully know. What, there's two major beliefs that what it could be is, one is that it's like this hierarchy teaching similar to maybe what the Catholic Church is, that there's somebody you have to go to that is, that is, your rep, that is God's representative. Not me. You don't have to go to me to confess sin. You can go straight to God. You can have a relationship with God without me. If I were to die today, your relationship with God should not be affected at all. You might be sad, and that's fine, but I'm in heaven. But your relationship with God is not dependent on me. It's dependent on you and him. But in the Catholic Church, they created this hierarchy. So some believe it's, it's something like that. Um, could also be some perverted message of the gospel and allowing secular beliefs and Christian beliefs all to be intermingled. We don't fully know. But what we do know is in this church, they've allowed both, they've compromised and have allowed both belief systems, and the main focus of both belief systems is a perverted idea of sex and sexuality. And if you look at our culture today, that is what's happening right now. It started a long time ago, but that's what's happening now. This perverted idea of compromise, and we're going to get to when we talk about Jezebel and, and some the next church, Thyatira, in a little bit, even how perverted it is. But much like that, what's happening then is happening in our church today. Much of what Satan perverts is sex. Sexuality, pornography, adultery, sexual perversions. Satan perverts sex more than anything. 
this church compromised. They didn't confront these issues. They accepted and allowed them. And we as a church, we have a choice on what we do. Yes, we are called to love, but we are not called to approve all choices. We are called to point people to Jesus and to call out sin. I think we lean way more on grace and not enough on saying, hey, we've been called to something different. It's a line that we have to be careful because some of us can become way judgmental and then not leave out grace. And some of us can leave out Jesus calling us to, to help people live their lives and we can be way more gracious and never call out sin. It's, it's a line. Verse 16, therefore, Jesus says, repent. Or else I am coming to you quickly and I will make war against them and with the sword of my mouth. This is the counsel. Jesus calls them to repent. Remember, to repent means to change the change of mind that results in the change of behavior. It's not just changing your mind, but it's where the Holy Spirit changes your mind with the resulting of changing behavior. You can't just change your behavior without the power of God living in your life. So God says, repent, repent. Repent from compromise. Repent from compromise in the church. Repent from compromise in your life. And the warning, judgment will come. And it's by the sword, the word of judgment from the word of God. Verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who, but he who receives it. The promise. Again, he who has an ear. This is a call to every person reading and listening to this letter. If you have an ear, hear. Have you been living a compromised life? Says to those who overcome, there are three, there's a threefold promise. Number one, you will be given hidden manna. Hidden manna represents Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus told us that. We know that from what was taught in, in the gospels, that the manna that the people of Israel received in the Old Testament was just a symbol of Jesus' provision in the New Testament. They're just they're, they're the same thing, this hidden manna. So they will be given this. This hidden manna, the, the Jesus, the provider, the sustenance they need for their spiritual life. The white stone, we don't fully know what it means. There's three main views about what it could mean. The first could mean, in, um, this could mean a, a, a few different things. They're in, the, in the people of Israel, in the, as they tr were in the, um, the wilderness, and um, when they built their temple, the priests, the main priests, had this thing called the Urim and the Thummim. And it was these two stones. And, and when he was asking the right thing to do in life, he would take out these, these stones and one would light up. How it worked, we don't know. God can do whatever he flipping wants. He made all things. He made elephants. He made giraffes. He made dinosaurs. He made dragons. He made you. The fool that we are, he made us. He can make rocks that light up when he says, God, what should we do? Does he do that now? I don't have one. I would like one. Wouldn't you all like rocks? God, should I go to the right or left? Wait, which rock was it again? No, I don't know. So that's one idea. 
One, walk was, one rock was, was white or like a diamond. The other rock was darker. Another thought, in the Roman times, there was a stone that would be given to the victor in, a, in a, like a, the Roman games, similar to the Olympics that we do. And so there would be a stone um, that would be given, and this stone would have their name written on it. Also in the Roman times, there was another stone. There was a white stone and a black stone. And if you were acquitted or seen it had no fault in a crime, you were given the white stone. If you were seen that you did have fault, you were given the black stone. Many believe, according to everything I've read, and I'm, let me tell you, I, I I study a lot. Many believe that it's more the, the, the second view, that a stone was given to the victor and that on it was given their name would be written. The reason why many believe that is because of the following statement, which says your name will be written. Um, and the name, which is a name only you and God are going to know, it's going to be something special that God gives you. Pergamum. Thyatira now. Okay? And then I'll summarize it all up at the end. And to the angel of the th- church at Thyatira, the son, verse 18, the son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this. The recipient. The recipient is the church in Thyatira, as I showed you earlier on that map. Thyatira is um, right by Pergamum. You'll see it in a little bit when it gets pulled up here. Uh, Right there, so you've got here, so you've now made the bend. You're coming to make this full circle. Remember, this is a travel route. This is a route that was used to make sure information got out to the whole kingdom and area. This is a very common travel route. It's like a oval, um, like a football. Sort of, or something. It's about 40 miles from Pergamum, Pergamus. They were famous for manufacturing different fabrics, um, specifically a purple dyed fabric. For those of you who, who remember, or maybe you don't know, in the book of Acts, chapter 16, this might be a good chapter to read, there's a lady by the name of Lydia. Lydia is known as a maker of purple. Um, and um, she is also known as, a. it's said that she was a worshiper of God. It's Acts chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. There's only two verses really written about her, but we know two things about her. She's from three things. She's from Thyatira, she's a maker of purple, and she's a worshiper of God. So what some people believe is that people from her family started this church in Thyatira, that her worship, that, that who she was, that she is one of the founding. We don't know. This is thought. This is a, a thought. We don't know, but all we know is Lydia is from Thyatira, and she's a maker of purple, and that's this church. It's a small church, but it's given the most amount of time for all seven churches. The speaker is Jesus, the Son of God. If you recall, in the, in the first chapter, he's called the Son of Man, speaking of his humanity. His humanity. This time, he is called the Son of God, speaking of his divinity. Uh, of, of his holiness and his might as God, the king, the holy God. And so we have here this reference of him being the divine judge. Comfort is not coming from the, for this church, but judgment is. And it's said that in his judgment, he has the, his eyes like a flame of fire, showing his piercing vision that sees all things. His feet are like burnished bronze, which speaks of his, his desire to create purity and holiness. 
to trample down impurities and to bring his church back to himself. Verse 19. Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. So here's the commendation. Jesus says, I know, I know, I know the life you're living. He says, I know that you show love for God and you show love for others. So he says, I know your deeds, I know your love. I know that you show God love for God and love for others. This word faith is not speaking of their faith in God. He says, I know your faith, meaning I know you're faithful and you're reliable to one another. I know that about you, that you're a faithful people and you're reliable people. Out of, out of their love for God and their love for others, they desire to be trusted and reliable and serve one another. They desire to meet each other's needs. All of these things in the church, he says, and you're, and you're getting better at this. You're, you're doing good in this. Verse 20 and 21, he says, but. If ever you have that, and then there's the but. You ever been through like your review and your boss is like saying, hey, you know what, you do this, and then there's the next word, but? Yeah, but I have this against you, that you tolerate. So if you're underlining, highlighting, circle this word tolerate in your Bible. But you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Here's the complaint. They tolerated sin. They tolerated Jezebel. They tolerated this woman. Now, many believe that there wasn't a woman in the church named Jezebel. But Jezebel in history, if you know anything about her, she led the people of Israel down a path of horrific sin, idol worship, human sacrifice, terrible things. This woman, Jezebel, is found in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18, all the way through 2 Kings chapter 9. So if you want to read more about her, I encourage you to read about her. I'm going to tell you a little history about her. She marries one of the, the kings of Israel, um, and she leads him down this path of horrible Baal worship, Baal worship. She brought this worshiping of, of the sexual immoral way of worship. The worshiping of, of Baal, Baal um, was adults would gather around his altar, they would sacrifice infants to him, okay? And they would burn these sacrifices to this God. So the smell of human flesh was always around. Amid the horrific screams and the stench of this smell, men and women would commit acts of, of sexual perversion. These acts, it, 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 some of it would be man with woman having these sexual acts. And so many times where these children came from, you know where they came from? They came from the inconvenience of getting pregnant. And because you didn't want to be pregnant and you didn't want that child, what you would do is you would place that baby, modern times we call it abortion, but today or in those days they just called it sacrificing to a God. And they would place a baby in, into, they would either kill it, there was this other worshiping of God, a God named Molech, where they would actually put the baby into the arms of this God and they would roast the baby alive. But because people realized when you had sex with one another and you got pregnant, then all of a sudden you want to know what their acts became? Homosexual acts. Women with women, men with men. 
And it was this worship of this God that this woman Jezebel that God now is condemning saying, you've allowed the same worship in your church. Look at the churches today. Look at our society today. Satan is loving what's happening to the American church. We tolerate. In the words of tolerance, saying, man, but if you don't allow, if you don't, you're not, you're not loving like God. No, no, no. I don't see God saying tolerate this. I see God saying, no, judgment's coming. You don't allow these acts of sexual immorality and this perversion into my home. We see it today in, in this huge promotion of, of, of trying to allow kids not saying they don't know their sexuality. I'm sorry, boys are boys, girls are girls. That's how God made you. God made Adam and Eve at the very beginning. Now has sin perverted things? Have our minds been distracted and ruined? I fully believe that. There, are, there is that. But I, do I fully believe that Satan is perverting everything sexual? Yes. That's what pornography does. Pornography, the, or pornography perverts the good thing God made. And we compromise. But God is patient and he's long-suffering. Even though this woman, who she's given the title of Jezebel, but that's, that's not her name. We don't know her name. But she was just like her. He says, repent. And she said, no, I won't change. This church allowed her to come and preach from their stage. This church allowed her to come and speak those truths this church allowed her to speak those things that they were the gospel truth. And God says in verse 22, behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with, with her, that means those who are following her, with her into great tribulation unless they repent. We see this constant God trying to get people to repent, repent of their deeds, and I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one, to each one of you according to your deeds. Here's the warning. Thyatira, you must change. Now here is the struggle and why it was so hard for them. In Thyatira, there was this, this thing called the, they were the, the trade guild. So I don't know how many of you have ever um, been part of a union um, and when you're in a union, there's like union dues that you have to pay to be part of the union. You guys understand that general idea? Well, in Thyatira, there were these trade guilds. So if you were a maker of purple fabric, there was a trade guild. You would pay your dues. Your dues, though, weren't like giving somebody 100 bucks. Your dues were the worship of the gods in Thyatira, and the worship of the gods were sexually perverted ways of worship. So for you to keep faith, to continue to have an influence in your city, you would have to do sacrifices and commit acts of sexual immorality. And so this church, to be able to save face and this woman Jezebel must have been like hey guys it's okay it's okay to do this we live in the city we must be in the world helping those realize that God loves them but God's going to forgive us for this act that's what's being said here 
God says, but judgment's coming. Just like the woman Jezebel, if you read her story, her end comes in, in 2 Kings chapter 9. It is prophesied that she will fall out a door, or fall out a window, and she will die, and dogs will eat her flesh. Read her story and see if that happens. God says judgment will come. Verse 24, but I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold these, this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place, on, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. The counsel, hold fast. Hold fast the truth. The deep things of Satan are things of, 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 of perversion, are things of, of evil, are things of heavy burdens, are things of lust, are things of, of our own personal cravings. Paul told us that there were deep things of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You can read that on your own. But at the end of verse 10, it says the depths of God. The deep things of God are God's judgment on sin, God's son's death for sin, God's forgiveness of sin, God's grace for sin, God's mercy from judgment, God's love for us. Those are the deep things of God. Take a picture of that. And God says, I'm not asking you to carry more of a burden than you can. You can leave this image up that people take pictures, please. <clears throat> to not carry the burden means that they do not have to go and hide as hermits. You guys know those Christians that like, they feel like the only way to be a Christian in this world is to just go and hide and, and be a recluse for the rest of their lives. Some people do that. They just make choices to make sure their kids are never see the world and the world's there. God has called us to be in the world, just not of it. God wants to use us as lights in the world, but we've got to be careful not to tolerate sin and not to compromise in it. The final verse of the verses of these sections, he who comes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over nations and shall rule them with an iron um, iron as the vessel, with the, the rod of iron as the vessel of the potter uh, are broken to pieces as I also have pierced, uh, received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. This is the only church where he ends with the words, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. A promise to the overcomers. God says, keep my deeds instead of the deeds of Jezebel. And you will receive two things. Over, you will receive authority over the nations. This quote comes from Psalm, Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. This speaks of the millennial reign of Christ, which we will talk about later. But God will give authority to those who overcome. The morning star refers to Jesus, which is mentioned in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. And also 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. The morning star refers to Jesus, which we also read about, about the star that is Jesus' star, speaking in Matthew of the star that the Magi followed. We see two very different churches here in Pergamum and Pergamus and Thyatira. 
a church that tolerates and a church that compromises. Neither, neither of these cities has a thriving church today. Jesus closes the letter to these church, this last church very different. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Three things stand out for me as I close out this morning. Number one, God will judge sin. He will judge it. He cannot allow it to thrive in this church. He cannot allow it to thrive in your life. He wants to clean it out. He wants to strike it out. He, he wants all that dead to be gone. He could strike us all dead, but he doesn't because God is a God who offers repentance, gives us a chance to repent. Meaning, remember, repent means to change of mind that results in the change of action. God is a God who offers forgiveness. He asks us to change, to change how we think, to change how we live, to change how we listen. Are we willing to step back and assess our own life? Are we willing to say, you know what? I think I gotta repent. Men for our, and women, same as for make room and for man night. Men's night, these are places where confession should be natural. We're wanting to live an open life of saying, I can't do this life on my own becomes common and normal. Repentance is not a, is not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength. The weakness is saying, I can't. The strength is saying, God, but you can't. God is a God of grace. He is slow to anger and abounds with loving kindness. He is patient with us and he offers his Holy Spirit because you can't do it on your own. And to each of these churches, he says, to you who have an ear, let him hear. We have to choose what we live for and who we live for. And it starts with our relationship with him. God so desires each of these churches to turn to him. And he so desires us to turn to him. But we must be on guard against compromise in our life. We must be on guard with tolerance in our lives. God's plan to impact the world is to use you and I to do it. But he, he does not, he can't use a compromised, sin-tolerating life. So as he says to the church, to him, to him or her who has an ear, let him hear. Those words here mean not just to listen. I know many of you have kids who, who heard you Anybody ever have a kid who heard you but didn't do what you asked? That's not this word. This is the idea, to those who have an ear, let him hear, meaning hearing and ready to respond. So, 1 
for some of you, your response today is to call upon the Lord and be saved. Say, God, I need you to change my life. God, I need you to work in my life. God, I need you to turn my life to you. God, I've been living for myself this whole time. God, I want to live for you. For some of you, it's to repent because you've been compromising and you've been tolerating things that you're not called to. And God says, you need to repent. For some of you, it's a matter of taking your next step in faith with Jesus. It could be serving, it could be giving, it could be getting baptized. I don't know what your next step is. But to those who have an ear, let them hear what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit says to your life. So what's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Because it's that still, small voice that speaks. Don't close your ear to him. He's there to help. To be your helper, it says in John, and to be your guide and your teacher. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, I ask, God, that you would have freedom in this room and in our hearts to live for you. If you know in your heart that God is calling you to himself, that you need to surrender your life and follow him, I ask that you pray with me. Say, dear God, I surrender. I want to follow you with my life. Forgive me. Thank you for sending Jesus, your son, to die on a cross for me. Set me free from my sin. I believe in you as Lord and master of my life. I give you control. Help me to live for you now. Did you decide to follow Jesus while listening to this podcast today? We want to celebrate with you and help you with your next steps. Click the link in the podcast description to get connected with a pastor and your next step. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to click that follow button and tune in next week for another great message.